Welcome to the Hello First Name Podcast. The Hello First Name Podcast revolves around the term personalization and is brought to you by marketing author Rasmus Holin, founder of Omnichannel Institute and chief experience officer at the marketing automation software company Agilic. The podcast is based on the book Hello First Name. Each episode is based in turn on a chapter from the book, followed by a discussion of the very same chapter with an expert marketing practitioner in the following episode. As always, you can buy the book on Amazon or other bookstores. You can also choose to listen to it all for free on your favorite podcast service. You're also very welcome to download the abstract of the book for free, and all models, of course, are able to download. All downloads are sponsored by Agilic. I'll make sure to put a link to everything in the show notes. But you can always connect on LinkedIn, and I'll be happy to reply and help out. Chapter 3. Defining Personalization So what might a definition of personalization look like? First of all, let's be clear that in this book we are concerned with the topic of personalized communication. Communication that companies initiate primarily from either a marketing or a communications department. This book, including the definitions it offers, could potentially be useful in areas such as product development, R&D, and how a product can be personalized for specific customers. However, this is not the aim of the book, so please consider yourself to have been provided with a hefty disclaimer if you're coming at the book from one of those angles. During the research process for the book, we came in contact with Dr. Tequila Nobel from the University of Lugano in Switzerland, to whom we owe much gratitude for having unraveled the emergence of personalization from an academic perspective. Noble and her colleague Nadjega Kalbaska wrote in their article An Exploration of Personalization in Digital from 2020 that they too see the problems that arise from the fragmented understanding of personalization. They also see the need for a prehensive and updated definition of the term. The lack of common terminology still represents one of the obstacles to fully understand the concept and all of its facets. In their article, they described how personalization isn't a new term. It has been mentioned and used since way before the advent of the internet. They also go further to describe some of its characteristics. Personalization versus customization. It is important to distinguish between personalization and customization. Nobile and Kalbaska discussed this distinction. Although there are several scholars who use the two terms interchangeably, we'd argue that it makes great sense for practitioners to follow the stream of research that distinguishes between the two concepts. In this stream, set down by Dr. Stefan W. Schilke from Plymouth University and colleagues in 2004, personalization can be seen as the process through which companies personalize their offering and or communication with their customers. In contrast, customization is a customer-initiated process, hence customization, where the customer customizes a product, for instance, choosing the color of a car's interior or having their name printed on sports clothing, or a product view, for instance, by setting explicit criteria for filtering and or sorting based on the product's properties. Actual versus perceived personalization. It also makes sense to distinguish between actual and perceived personalization. Actual personalization refers to whether or not the sender of a message has in fact made some kind of personalized modification or is just serving generic content. Perceived personalization instead looks at the process from the point of view of the receiver. For instance, a generic set of product recommendations, for instance bestsellers, could be perceived as personalized if they were presented with a headline especially for you. This distinction answers the question of whether the end customer has to notice that personalization is going on in order for it to be characterized as proper personalization? The answer is no. Personalization doesn't have to be apparent to the receiver of the message.
implicit versus explicit personalization. In this book, we shall also distinguish between explicit and implicit personalization. Explicit personalization covers cases where it is apparent to the receiver that personalization has taken place. In the case of parametrized personalization, such as hello, dollar sign, first name, where all recipients' first names are automatically inserted into an email, for example, we are talking about explicit personalization. The same goes for the yearly email that Spotify sends its customers, where it tallies up how much the individual has used the service, which artists and songs they listen to the most, and so on. In fact, you could argue that any kind of invoice or bill is explicitly personalized. Explicit personalization can also take place without parameterization. For instance, on the headline level, where it is clear which segment of customers the sender has in mind and is personalizing the communication to them. Implicit personalization, on the other hand, is more subtle. It can easily be the right tactic when addressing touchy subjects such as pregnancy, sexuality, divorce, or even death. During the research for this book, an expert committee discussed how a pension company would always tread very carefully and communicate very subtly, if at all, if there was an indication in the data suggesting that a customer had been through a divorce. It is always worth remembering the classic example of American retailer Target, which suggested pregnancy-related products to a minor. Her father was furious and called them to complain. They gave him an excuse and explained that it was just the algorithm suggesting products based on previous purchases. Later it turned out that the minor was in fact pregnant. The lesson from this story is that it wasn't wrong for Target to suggest these products, but it should have been more discreet and not put them in the primary position within its recommendations. Targeting Explicit personalization almost always takes place on so-called owned media, web, app, email, SMS, etc., and very rarely in advertising. This is due to the following facts. First, parametrization in advertising is impossible. Second, you cannot really be sure who will be looking at an ad. Third, explicit personalization in advertising would also come across as super creepy to most people. We've only ever seen one explicitly personalized ad. This was a Facebook ad that addressed the fact that one of the authors hadn't completed his purchase at a ski apparel merchant. He actually did go back and complete this purchase. Because of the ad? Mm, not in this case, but for other customers that could have been the determining factor. When companies use personalization on communication channels where parametrization with personal data isn't possible, for instance advertising, it is often referred to as targeting. Advertising platforms commonly gather insights and allow advertisers to segment their messages based on these insights. It's also possible for advertisers to match their company's own customer data, first-party data, with that of the advertising platform and thus achieve much more precision. In advertising on digital paid media, using first-party data to define a so-called audience pretty much sets the bar for how personalized advertising can become. The only way to improve on this is to use tools for product retargeting, which is a way of exposing customers to the exact product they were close to buying. Segmentation versus personalization, not a binary distinction. A topic that was heavily debated in the expert committee meetings that made up part of the research for this book was the distinction between segmentation and personalization. As part two of this book will discuss, Segmentation is something you do to your customer database. It involves dividing your customers into ever smaller segments to allow you to communicate different things to different people at different times. If you insert recipients' first names within a piece of content intended for a specific segment, then everybody seems to concur that you are doing personalization. If, however, you don't parameterize anything in the message and it is generic for the segment, then some would argue that you aren't doing personalization but merely segmentation. So in this light, implicit personalization 
as described earlier, would in fact fit this description and thus be segmentation. Imagine then that you set up so many criteria for your segments that they end up being very small indeed. When are the segments small enough for everyone to agree that we are talking about personalization instead? As we shall explore in part two, classic segmentation is not the only type of insight you should be using when working with personalization. Behavioral data collected in real time from customers' interactions with your digital platforms and assets has great significance in terms of enabling you to decide whom to send to and when. In essence, this is also a way of segmenting your customer database, albeit very granularly. None of the experts who took part in the research process for this book argued that a generic message sent at the right individualized time, for instance, an email sent to all customers with a credit card expiring in five days, wasn't personalization. We even agreed that not sending something could be regarded as personalization. It can hardly get more implicit than that. It is clear that the distinction between personalization and segmentation is blurry when taken to the extreme. So, for the sake of clarity, we shall treat segmentation as a term that lies within the umbrella term of personalization. Two academic definitions of personalization. Having covered these important aspects and distinctions related to personalization, it's time to visit some actual definitions and come to a conclusion about which definition the bow tie of personalization is built upon. First, let's briefly visit the definition that Gardner suggests. Quote, Personalization is a process that creates a relevant, individualized interaction between two parties designed to enhance the experience of the recipient. Unquote. We agree with Gardner that personalization is a process, and also that there are two parties involved. But otherwise, we find the definition too narrow. First of all, creating a relevant experience will indeed be a goal of the company. But it is solely up to the recipient to decide whether something is relevant or not. And, as we concluded earlier, this decision is not an either-or, or doesn't even have to be a conscious one. Our second point of critique centers on the word individualized. Since personalization can happen implicitly and at the segment level, this seems out of place in the definition. Last but not least, the sole focus of enhancing the experience of the recipient seems slightly altruistic as any marketer is, or should be, out to create value for their company, not just enhance the experience of the recipient. So at least as a practitioner's definition, Gartner seems too narrow, as it won't always pay off to invest in individualized communication for the sole purpose of enhancing the customer's experience. As we shall see in Chapter 14, companies should focus on key parts of the customer journey in their personalization efforts, otherwise it may not be worth the effort. We shall once again draw upon the work of Tequila Noble, this time writing with Lorenzo Cantoni for an alternative definition. Quote, Personalization is a dynamic process in which an object is changed for an individual in order to provide added value for the individual herself slash himself. Such a process, which takes place in a given context, can be user or firm driven. The object, either tangible or intangible, is changed in dimensions at a number of states. The individual either provides information about her slash himself or the information is inferred by the change maker. According to some, personalization and customization are different concepts. Customization is then characterized by an active contribution from an individual up to her slash his involvement in the co-design of a product." Unquote. If we start at the end of this definition, then we are confronted with the ambiguity between personalization and customization. As outlined earlier, for the sake of clarity and general good sense in distinguishing between a customer-initiated and a company-initiated process, we prefer to keep the two terms apart. Moving one step further back in the definition, we meet the term information. In day-to-day -day marketing jargon, this is referred to as data, either explicit data, voluntarily submitted by the recipient, or insights inferred, 
perhaps from other data sources. This part of the definition fits with the commonly used terminology of predictive analytics and how algorithms can indeed infer propensities or degrees to which a certain statement holds true for a specific individual. How certain are we that a customer is going through a divorce? If they haven't specifically submitted that data to our company, then we're better off not addressing it directly, edge cases aside. Moving further back in the definition, the object of personalization is usually referred to as content within the marketing discipline. It can, however, also be functionality. For example, should a specific feature be visible for a specific customer on an online bank? The idea of changing content across several dimensions fits beautifully with the bow tie of personalization, as we shall see in part two. And the reference to tangible or intangible objects could refer to the fact that the exclusion of a specific customer from a certain message is also a form of personalization. Finally, the first part of the definition is the soul of personalization. It is used because the sender believes that it will create better value for the recipient. Again, however, we feel that the goal of profiting from personalization gets lost in this definition. A practitioner's definition of personalization. One company in which personalization is a core strategy is Netflix. At a conference in Gothenburg, Sweden in 2022, Gibson Biddle recounted how he carried out several personalization experiments during his time as vice president of product for Netflix. His framework for creating value in this role involves focusing on three core points, delighting the customer, making things happen that are hard to copy, margin enhancement. Biddle labels this his DHM framework with the H coming from hard. Among other tactics, such as having unique content, personalization ticks all three boxes in this framework. We believe the margin enhancement point beautifully underlines the duality of value creation for both the customer and the company to a much larger extent than do the two previously visited definitions. On the basis of the above definitions and with the discussed distinctions in mind, we propose the following practitioner's definition of personalization. Personalization is a distinct communication tactic that aims to create better immediate and future business value by showing or hiding specific content to recipients in a way that is expected to align with insights into their explicit or inferred preferences. Let's break this definition down. First of all, personalization is one of many potential communication tactics, hence the term distinct. The vast majority of practitioners use it as a tactic, but there are also examples where personalization is used as a core strategy. This is the case for companies such as Amazon, Facebook, and Netflix. In general, if your product is 100% digital, then personalization stands a higher chance of becoming a strategic differentiator. Personalization is often used within marketing, but not all communication prone to personalization is related to marketing-specific goals. Hence, we use the term communication tactic and not marketing tactic. The message that creates the most value for recipient and company alike may very well be a non-marketing related message. If, for instance, a customer has had a bad experience with a certain service, then the next best message will most likely be one that explains what went wrong and what has been done to avoid this happening again. It's not marketing a new product or potential upsell, which could easily come across as pushy and aggressive. When practitioners work with personalization, they have a purpose in mind. As long as the value creation is mutual, for the recipient and company, it's fine to enhance the customer experience. The overall purpose, however, is to create business value. This can be short-term, immediate, or long-term, future. For example, in the short-term, a company might be chasing conversions on a specific campaign in order to meet short-term targets. This can mean repeating a certain offer multiple times. 
but not to the point where it jeopardizes future business value. For instance, if the recipient begins to perceive the messages as spam, resulting in decreased brand perception and trust, or even causing the recipient to choose to unsubscribe from further communication by revoking their consent to marketing. The idea of showing or hiding specific content refers to the fact that choosing not to show or send content to a recipient can sometimes be beneficial for long-term business value. If the chances of a specific recipient finding a specific offer relevant are slim to none, then it's better not to show, let alone send, that offer to that recipient so as not to create noise and annoyance. As we shall see in Chapter 8, content comes in many forms. These can easily coexist or be part of the same customer experience. For instance, when a person looks at a website, an app, and an email. The term recipient refers to the fact that there is a receiving end of personalized communication. The company is sending or showing the content and recipients are receiving it. Of course, interactions do take place where the recipients submit personal information and thus these interactions resemble mutual conversations. Note that recipients is in the plural because personalization always has the goal of scaling personalized customer experiences to as many recipients as possible in order to maximize the value gained from the effort. The last part of the definition refers to how the specifically shown content is expected to align with the preferences of the recipients. We use expected because there can only be one judge of whether alignment has been achieved, namely the recipient. No matter how much data is collected, marketers generally have only vague impressions of the context and the intentions of their recipients, unless they are explicitly stated, of course. Nevertheless, preferences can still be inferred to a greater or lesser degree based on data collection and advanced analytics, and this can certainly still create value for both parties. Personalization is not an either-or. Our definition of personalization is fairly wide, as indeed are the other two definitions discussed earlier. Some practitioners might argue that it is too wide compared with their perception of personalization. However, we believe that marketers would benefit from uniting to understand, respect and connect with each other's definitions to present a stronger position and more robust results to senior management. Thus, our definition is open to many forms of personalization, both implicit and explicit, and on both owned and paid media. So, to conclude this chapter, personalization is not a binary thing, but more a question of degrees. This means that, for instance, choosing to show ads to an audience that Facebook believes algorithmically matches your best customers is an act of personalization. It is definitely not the most explicit example of personalization, and the people seeing the ad will probably never realize that it wasn't just random coincidence they saw it. However, it is still personalization. Thank you for listening in on this episode of Hello First Name. Remember that all models and even a written abstract of the book are available for download. You'll find the link in the show notes. In our next episode, which is a more classic podcast style, we'll be discussing the definition of personalization with Dr. Tequila Harley-Nobile, PhD from Lugano University, on the topic of personalization within fashion.